Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. We are Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch it. Have you ever wanted to watch anime but didn't know where to start? Have you been wanting to relive your favorite anime moments? Do you just want to know what anime is all about? Every week, we watch episodes from awesome anime and tell you what happened. Cowboy Bebop, Naruto, One Punch Man, Hunter x Hunter, and more. So come and get jumped with us every week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. We have to say it at the same time. Welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and TV shows and movies of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And uh, today we actually have a user request. Uh, we use a request, a listener request. Uh, we have a phone line set up for uh, listener requests. And we actually got one from a listener named Robert. Like the podcast, uh, my name is Robert, and I have listened to a couple episodes. I do have a recommendation for you. It is called Dog City, a show that appeared in the 90s. It was actually attached to Jim Henson, had puppets and also animation in it. Uh, I found a couple episodes online on iTunes, I believe is the website, or the place you can find it. Uh, I recommend it. It still holds up to this day. You guys keep up the good work. Goodbye. So now... Let's get in to Dog City. is an American-Canadian television series that aired on Fox from September 26th of 92 to November 26th of 94, and in Canada on the Teletoon network until 2000. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. The show contained both animated sections by Nelvana mm-hmm. and puppetry by Jim Henson Productions. This is kind of an odd half and half where where the show is is in bulk animated, with sort of uh, puppetry bookended at both and sometimes the front and in the, the back middle. and sometimes little bits in the middle. It spanned three seasons at only 31 episodes total. And the show started off originally as a TV movie in 89 as an episode of the Jim Henson Hour where the characters were puppets. And in that feature, the Dog City movie, Sprocket the Dog from Fraggle Rock actually made a an appearance which yeah is kind of cu- cool a couple of dogs actually uh from jim henson made an appearance it was sprocket from fraggle rock and you also had lyle the dog and baskerville the hound from the muppet show and there were a couple other dogs that had in, that had uh it been shown a little bit in a couple other jim henson productions or was, they got used as a they were used as a cameo later so the muppets at walt disney world I guess had a cameo of one of the puppets from this series. So there's some kind of odd tie-ins. 
But that I think was post Muppet sell off to Disney. So yeah. So this show was was sent to us was requested by a listener, and I have to say that I had never heard of this show before in my life. I'd never seen it, ever. Not one bit. I'd never even heard of it. I I, I believe we made a brief mention of it several weeks ago when we were covering something else, and I think it was when we mentioned the Hug a Bunch. Yeah, maybe the puppets. And what I remember is almost nothing of this. I do remember it existed. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it sort of existed out in the ether for me. And and that's about it. I, I have almost no recollection. I don't really remember watching it. I think I remember seeing commercials because some of the characters feel sort of reminiscent of something, but I'm not really sure of what. You know what's funny is I, I was watching it this morning and Kathy walks by and she looks at the screen and she's like, what show is this? And I said, oh, it's Dog City. And she looks at it for a little bit. And it was during the, uh, it was in a transition between one of the animated sequences and one of the puppet sequences. And when it got to the puppet sequence, she said, I remember this show. And it took the puppet sequence for her to remember it. Because she said that she said that the puppet part was way more memorable. It like sparked something in her mind than the animated part. Probably because it was no puppet stuff going on 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 tv at the time i believe this aired on fox here in the u.s or at least it did here for us in southern california yeah and i i I remember being somewhere on that fox box sort of uh programming block yeah what's funny about it is is usually when we watch when we watch uh, animated cartoons or movies or something or when i'm watching it for the show kathy will walk by and say what is this what you know and most of the time i would say probably eight times out of ten she has no idea or she never watched it or maybe she heard about it but she never watched it and this was i think the first time where she had seen something and watched it that i hadn't seen it that i don't think that's ever happened no it hasn't so i was shocked i was like you know what this is i have no idea joy i don't think had any idea what it was either yeah so the, uh, the animated, like we said, this show goes back and forth between live action, well, live action Muppets and, and cartoon. And the animated portions of the show uh, focus on the story of a canine, a dog, Private Eye, private detective named Ace Hart. And the, uh, the storylines for each of the episodes largely fall around sort of Private Eye type tropes right like he's looking for something there's a bad guy uh, who or something's bad something bad is happening and he's got to catch him and then there's a resolution of some sort and then the end yeah ace hard you're a real piece of work i don't know how you do it do me a favor rosie feed the hungry not my ego looks like they become pretty attached to you yeah but it won't last i know private eyes have no room for personal attachments no their little muscles will give out and they'll fall right off See you around, Rosie. There goes one heck of a dog. And then the the, uh, the the Muppet parts, the live action parts, have more to do with the main character, which is... Elliot. Elliot. Elliot Shag. The main character, Elliot Shag, who is an animator. He's actually the animator of Ace Heart and the Ace Heart story. And it, he animates at home. He animates it at home in his from apartment. like a drafting desk. Yeah. yeah, and so the the live action parts more deal with him interacting with the people that live in his apartment and interacting with the kid that lives next door and, and interacting super... with the character of Ace. Yeah, there, it's like full fourth wall break. It's as if Ace is a character that has 
100% awareness of the fact that he is animated. And yeah. that Elliot is his creator and that Elliot holds the strings for his world. He'll sometimes ask him to make things easier for him or give him a, a, a helping hand in, in a particular spot or ask for a weapon or ask the, a girl to be made more attractive or, you know, it's, um, it is kind of an interesting dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. There, there's an exchange between the two of them and it's in the first episode. There's an exchange between the two of them where, or it, it's actually a line that, that Ace says, and he's about to be crushed by a safe. Sorry, I got you into this, Ace. Safe again. We're not cashing in yet. How can you be so sure? Let's just say that there's somebody up there watching me. Believe me, that safe isn't going anywhere. Because he knows that Elliot's going to do something so that he gets out of the situation. Well, and at one point, it's like he says to Elliot something along the lines of that, you know, it looks like, you know, you've kind of written us into a corner here and you didn't really think about an exit strategy for me. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's what, uh, that's and what, uh, that's, that's what Ace says to no, Elliot. Elliot says that to Ace. He's like, I think I wrote you into a corner here. I don't really know what yeah, I and then And then he's like, well, I, I need some help here and you need to do this. He's like, well, here, kick your shoe and hit this lever and it will save you. And it's like, I can't do that. It's like, yeah, you can. And it's like, well, of course he can because he's an animated character being told he can do something by his own animator. So it, it's... There's a lot of weird stuff uh, related to characters saying, like, I can't do this in the animated world. But obviously they can because they can do whatever their creator tells them to. They have that. I mean, that almost makes the argument that they don't have free will. Right. Yeah. Because it's that whole philosophical idea, that concept that if a creator has given you free will, then really the creator's not in control. But if the creator has 100% control, then truthfully, you have no free will. And so it's just like moral dilemma between does he have a right to his own being or not, which well, is kind of interesting for, what, I mean, a kid's show. Yeah, but what's funny is there's actually, uh, there's a, in one of the episodes we watched, because what we did is we watched the first four episodes, because as far as we could find, there wasn't really a ranking of the episodes of this show in terms of either popularity or... There's not a whole lot written about this show in general either, so... So it's not one that I think a lot of people have covered. Yeah. So in one of the episodes of the show, uh, it centers on um, the mob boss, the dog father uh, of the of the dog gang, the dog mafia, who hires a hitman essentially to kill Ace, to rub him out, to to take him take him to pasture or whatever. And Elliot actually tells Ace, he's like, I don't know if I want to use it because the character he actually tells Ace. That the character of Meet the Butcher is a character that his boss wanted him to use. It's a character his boss created and wants him to put in the cartoon. And he did the, the, the Elliot, the animator, didn't want to use Meat because he didn't know if he could control him. So later on in the episode, when he puts Meat in anyway, because Ace sort of convinces him to use Meat because he he wants like a real challenge and whatnot. When he puts Meat in, and Ace is like, "Whoa, like this is getting kind of out of hand." He's and. Uh, Elliot tells him, look, I told you, I didn't know if I could control this guy. And he's pretty much running on his own right now. I can't control him. And it's like part of the, you know, he's supposed to be animating the, the Ace Heart universe. But it seems like the Ace Heart universe sort of has a mind of its own at some points that he can't control. But he's the one animating it. So it's, it's kind a, of it's a, a weird. Yeah, it's a weird kind of acid trippy show. Yeah, it is. Uh, the The... I don't know if that's because of or in spite of the fact that there were 
including the head writer, 18 total writers for this show. Yeah, that's which a lot is of writers. a lot of writers, and that's generally not a good sign, I feel, when you're talking about creative cohesion. Because if there's, okay, maybe a handful of writers, maybe half a dozen, then they all got their own ideas, but they can kind of sync everything together. But 18 writers, unless they're writing their own episodes completely with their own cr- control, sure. But the head writer was J.D. Smith, and he wrote for The Adventures of Sam and Max, Babar the Movie, My Pet Monster, The Mask, the animated series, and Beetlejuice, the animated series. He was also an animator on Rock and Rule, Strawberry Shortcake, and The Baby Without a Name. Uh, Strawberry and Shortcake meet the Berrykins, and was a supervising animator on the Carriers movie, which we may be covering at some point. Yeah, so I, I actually have to say that when I saw that he was the animator, that he wrote for The Adventures of Sam and Max... It I makes felt, a lot of sense, yeah, cause, right? Because you can tell that there is some humor similarities between Sam and Max and this show. It's sort of that irreverent, almost like crazy humor that that Sam and Max is known for. That it's really funny in in, yeah. in spots, and it's really just sort of like it breaks the fourth wall, and it. And they don't care. And they don't care. It's just, it's just not that they don't care about the project. They don't care uh, what other people think. Yeah, it it, it takes almost the, it, it almost takes on the guise of like lol random type of type of humor a little bit. But I, in watching these episodes, I had I had no no expectations, zero. And then when I started watching them, I was actually laughing pretty hard at a lot of the stuff. I, I yeah, I mean, I don't remember anything about the the episodes either. The the only thing that I, I knew was that it was part animated and part part puppets. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. So the the animated part is I think we just briefly mentioned is done by Nelvana, and they're an animation company that was founded in seventy one. And their most notable franchise, of course, is Care Bears, and they've worked on a bunch of other sta- other things, including Tintin, Babar, Eek the Cat, Terrible Thunder Lizards. Donkey Kong Country, yes, that's right. There's an animated series based off of the Super Nintendo Donkey Kong games. Yeah. But they also did anime dubs for things like Cardcaptor, Sakura, Beyblade, and Metabots. And they produced Star Wars droids and Star Wars Ewoks. And apparently, uh, they were working on an animated series based on the BBC sci-fi franchise Doctor Who. And it never made it off the ground, but it did at least get some concept art, which you can find online if you look around. It's kind of cool looking, and I'm kind of pissed off that it never happened, because it sounds like it'd be something pretty awesome. Yeah, they'd be able but, to do a know, lot more than they can in the actual series. Who knows? They might have screwed it up, so maybe it's a good thing it didn't happen. Yeah, The, the puppet stuff is done by a puppet stuff that sounds like something that people pay extra for after a massage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the puppet, the puppet segments, puppet stuff. Uh, the puppet, puppet segments, the puppet segments were done by Jim Henson productions. And if you don't know Jim Henson, what kind of a childhood did you have? An awful one because yeah. Jim and Jane Henson founded Henson in, in 58 and God, man, you know, if you know anything about Muppets or Fraggle Rock or Sesame Street, you have those guys to thank. Yeah, they also did. So, you know, you're talking like Kermit the Frog or Fozzie Bear or Gonzo, Miss Piggy. Rolf the Dog, who was actually a uh, narrator in the movie, the 89 movie Dog City. Yeah, yeah, he was. And, and, you know, all the, the, the puppets, at least on Sesame Street, they didn't create Sesame Street, but all the puppets they did. And they produced movies like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and the Muppet movie. Did you know that Joyce had never seen Labyrinth? Get out of here. Right? Well, I just made her watch Dark Crystal for the first time last year. The Dark Crystal. Oh, Dark Crystal. Yeah, they did a bunch of TV shows. 
And besides the one we've mentioned, and there's one that you wanted to talk about. There is. So I'd never heard of this before, and it's the most ridiculous thing ever. It's called Aliens in the Family, in which a single father is abducted by a single alien mother. They then fall in love and move in together to raise their mixed family on Earth. Interesting. Sort of an intergalactic Brady Bunch. Uh, Yeah, and it's... It is... I'm wondering if the... Is the mother a puppet? Like, I'm trying to think of how this... I'm I'm assuming that the mother was a humanoid-looking character and wasn't, like, a reptilian or something. No. 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 Oh, she wasn't. She looks... This is what the kids look like. They're terrifying. And the mom is, like, sort of half human-esque but their alien babies look like they look like uh roberto from uh, futurama the the oh, red see, robot i was that... gonna say they look a bit like admiral akbar from from star wars yeah to me they look like roberto the the one the the robot that has the uh, the knife and goes <laughs> oh yeah yeah a little bit the big eyes they are terrifying looking yeah. absolutely terrifying look up that movie alien or the or tv, TV show. show aliens 13 in the episodes and God, it, it is, uh, it's terrifying, really. It's, it's truly something terrifying. Yeah. And if but, you didn't, if you didn't know that, um, the new project that the Henson, Henson, uh, died, I want to say back in the 1990. Yeah. Back he in died 90. 90. And, uh, the company's been chugging along ever since. And the Henson productions, uh, newest production that they're working on is a, is a, a is a prequel, prequel to, uh, Dark Crystal. It is. It's supposed to take place like before. Oh, back when there's more Gelflings around. So yeah. it's called The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And so it's it's sort of odd with the way that Jim Henson Productions ended up kind of working out. Just because, you know, we're here. We can take a side note. Um, I, I don't think I put this in any of the notes. But Jim Henson Productions, what happened was is in... In 1990, I think it was in 89 or 1990, they were in talks with Henson to sell off to Disney. And then they didn't because he died. And then the the kids took over. There's a bunch of Henson kids and they took over the company. And then they sold the company and all of its holdings to uh, some German conglomerated something for like 600 and almost is like 686 or 687 million dollars what they sold it for i think in 2000 and then the the german company that purchased it mm-hmm. then sold off the rights to sesame street and then the german company folded they ended up tanking filing for bankruptcy and then i think in 2003 2004 had to sell it again. And there was talks of multiple buyers, Disney, Sony, a bunch of people tried to buy it. And the Henson kids actually stepped back in and purchased it for literally pennies on the dollar. Remember, they sold it for almost $690 million. They purchased it for $84 million just Hmm. four years later. And then they sold off rights to the Muppets and Bear in the Big Blue House. So at this point, Henson Productions does not own the rights to Sesame Street or the puppets. They don't own the rights to the Muppets. They don't own the rights to Bear in the Big Blue House. They have they own So their... they're essentially just a production house now. Yeah, but most of the stuff they're doing is like digital production. It's like a 
animated features. They're not really even doing puppetry anymore, which is really a damn shame. It's kind of sad, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, Their puppets were great. They were. I I think we talked about them on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they had done all the puppetry work for that and in a way that was really revolutionary. So it's kind of sad when you when you hear about these companies that had done a lot of great stuff kind of going under for what from the outside seems like some mismanagement mm-hmm. but uh you know we can't control what they do with their own company but it's it's sad nonetheless yeah uh let's let's maybe get into because there's also too many directors to name so just briefly the music is done by a guy named philip balsam who uh wrote most of the songs for the tv series fragger rock along with dennis lee so so it's mo- it's largely like an in-house yeah company. it's an in-house thing so, so let's talk about the cast. Um, the cast of the animated section. Uh, we have Ace Hart that I described earlier. He's the main character of the animated sections. He's a German shepherd. Because in case you didn't know, in Dog City, literally everyone is a dog except for one character. One character is not a dog. And the cast is long. Yes. We have a long cast list today. Yeah. So we have Ace Hart, who's a German shepherd, and he's the private eye. And he's done by Ron White who is in Unforgiven and in Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And he's done a bunch of other things, too. Now, Rosie O'Gravy, which I think the name is... <laughs> that The name was so stupid. It's Every, so everything in this is... They're, they're all dog puns. Everything. Every single thing is a dog pun. It's ridiculous. She's the chief of detectives for the local police department, and she's a collie, and she's voiced by Elizabeth Hanna. And uh, Elizabeth Hanna is a voice actor who's also now a speech-language pathologist. She's done voice work for things like Care Bears, Babar, Wildcats, Sailor Moon, and she also worked on Beetlejuice Animated Series and The Legend of Zelda Animated Series as the voice of the Triforce of Wisdom. Another talking Triforce piece. Yay. Who knows why? Yay. Yeah, then we have Eddie, who's a Springer Spaniel, and he is a wet-nosed news pup who is essentially the short round to Ace Hart's Indiana Jones. He just tags along, uh, is fawns over Ace. I couldn't find who voiced him, though. Hmm. We'll just say ensemble actor. Yeah, well, because a lot of these uh, people, like... In some place, it, it will be tied to one person, then it's tied to another, and then other. It's, it's yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's not that important because he he hardly gets any screen time. The next character, though, I would argue is more entertaining than the main character. Yeah, he can be, uh, depending upon the scene. You know. Yeah. Uh, his name is Bugsy Vile. He's a bulldog, and he's the primary antagonist of of this uh, animated section. He's he's like a crime boss, sort of like um. And it's they refer to him as like the dog father of crime, which is funny because he's sort of voiced with a pseudo godfather voice. Yeah, a pseudo Marlon Brando, like a little bit. You can't possibly get away with this. Certainly I can. There are a thousand squeaky toys in the naked city. Um, he was voiced by John Stalker, who is known as he was he played Beastly in the Care Bear movie and the, the show, the uh, the Nelvana Care Bear show. Um, he also was in Jason the Wheel Warriors because he was uh, grunt, uh, Gun Grinner, who was one of the saw boss subordinates, yeah. the monster minds, whatever. He was also in Star Wars, Ewoks and Droids, Cops, X-Men, and he was the Tin Man in the Toho Wizard of Oz animated movie. 
Yeah, the one I keep talking about that someday I'll make you watch. Yeah, now Bugsy had a group of, of uh, it, he has his gang, his gang in the show. I found them to be a little irritating. They were a little bit irritating, yeah. Yeah, one is Frisky, it's a chihuahua who wears like a really large zoot suit. And yeah. And he's voiced by James Rankin, who is a voice actor, is mostly known for fingers in the movie Nut Job, which came out in 2014. One of the more obscure roles that he did was uh, an animated series based on the Highlander film franchise, which, once again, is another animated TV series based on an adult-oriented film that uh, is really not appropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do that at some point also. Yeah, and, and Frisky's whole bit is that he's super excitable, the character. He's super excitable, and he does this thing where he'll they'll, the, the uh, vile will tell him to frisk, frisk someone and you see him go over to him and then he spins around him like Tasmanian devil. Just and then the person is either got tattered clothes yeah, or something. And he's essentially like searching for something on him and yeah, tattered clothes or he's like left in his boxers or something like that. I will say the next character is sort of entertaining for me. The, the character's name is mad dog. He's a sort of like mutt of a dog. He's like psychotic, and most of the time he's just grunts and weird noises. Yeah, he reminds. But every once in a while, he'll uh, talk. But when he talks, it's like he's some high society philosopher. You know what it's like? It's like sideshow Mel from Simpsons. Yes, yes. When, when he talks, he talks like this. Yes, exactly. And he's voiced by Stephen uh, Stephen Wimet, who was the voice of Beetlejuice in the animated series of that same name, and Warren Worthington III, or Archangel, from the X-Men. Yeah, he was, also, he was also Babar. Uh, the, other, the next character in his, uh, in his gang is named Bruiser, and he's Bugsy Vile's nephew and henchman. He's essentially a like... A big, dumb idiot. Yeah, he's a big, he's big dumb muscle. And he's voiced by Howard Jerome, who was in the Silver Surfer animated. He was Falcor the Luck Dragon in the NeverEnding Story animated series. Yeah, he's no... Uh, that's so stupid. They pro- I guess they couldn't afford... Uh, uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yeah, probably since, not. Since he was already a voice actor. <laughs> yeah, probably not. And then now we get to the one non-dog character in the entire show, who is Kitty. Kitty is Bugsy Vile's main squeeze. It's his girlfriend. It's his... Girlfriend, I guess? Yeah. She's She's irritating as hell. She's super irritating. She essentially is the driving force behind almost all of Bugsy's crimes. Yeah, because he wants to get her something. He wants to buy her stuff because she is this just super materialistic, like, showgirl, essentially. And it, it makes me it, it makes me wonder what a bulldog is doing boning down with a cat because she's a cat. Yeah, I want to know what their weird like fucked up kids look like. Yeah, uh, kill me. Of... <laughs> yeah. yeah, kill me. She's voiced by uh, Paulina Gillis, who was the voice of Rarity and Miss Charity in the newer My Little Pony Friendship is Magic series. Yeah, she's pretty well known for that actually. And your favorite sprite with a Y. Oh, yeah. from the Legend of Zelda animated series, the, the big pervy. Uh, fairy that was peeking in on on link while he's trying to bathe yeah and she's had roles in mario brothers and like dozens of other roles uh there's another character that is i thought he was kind of weird because uh, he's listed as the secondary antagonist of the series but at least in the four episodes we saw he doesn't do anything he doesn't do anything except get blown up yeah it's like so what'll happen is you'll get puppetry and then transition to animated and as soon as they transition to animated uh, as soon as the first scene of animation happens, Ace is involved in some sort of a caper-solving 
whatever, with Baron von Rottweiler, who's a, a Rottweiler enemy. And within the, a minute or two, he ends up getting foiled and beaten. And this happens in every episode. They only show him for a brief time, basically long enough to get screwed over. And I just thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, I felt like he'd probably be a more interesting villain if we saw him more often. I don't know if he shows up later because we only watched the first four episodes. Yeah, but. In, the, in the episodes that we watched, he's essentially like he provides a cold open to the show where so, yes they'll they'll go into it's a story that's non that's not related to the actual main story of the episode where he'll be robbing a bank or something and ace will be there to, to thwart him and then he ends up defeating him and then the main story kicks in so in in the episodes that we watch maybe he, i mean there's more episodes out there so maybe he becomes more of a villain later but he just seems to be a like a, a like a, a nuisance character almost. Yeah. And he, he reminds me a lot of, if you ever watched the, the show, uh, road rovers, he reminds me a lot of blitz who is the, uh, who is the, the Russian, not the Russian. Yes. The, yeah. the German the, dog, the German, the German dog. shepherd. Yeah, yeah. And he, it, he, he's a, uh, he's a German shepherd and he talks with a German, he speaks with a German he's accent a Rottweiler. or he's a Rottweiler and he speaks with a German accent. Yeah. Is, he's, He's sort of a trope. Yeah. But but he's voiced by Dan Hennessy, who we actually mentioned on RoboCop mm-hmm. uh, as as one of the characters on RoboCop, the animated series. And he's best known as the voice of Braveheart Lion from, from the Care Bear series. Mm-hmm. And Chief Quimby from uh, Inspector Gadget and Dizzy in the movie Rock and Roll, which... Uh, we'll I, get to eventually. I know, we will. We have a long-standing request for that one from, gosh, months ago, I yeah. think. But... Uh, his henchman is a guy named Leon Berger, who's a dachshund, and and we don't really need to, to mention him because he doesn't talk for some reason. He doesn't talk, but he is the one that ends up blowing up uh, Baron von Rottweiler every time because Rottweiler will will throw like a bomb or something at Ace, and then Leon will run after it and grab it. And then bring it back to him, and then that'll blow him up. He yeah. fe- he fetches it. He even jokes about how I shouldn't have taught you to fetch. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The next characters in our notes. Uh, yeah, we, we, we don't. S- we can skip them because we didn't care. We didn't get, get to, to them. any vote. Yeah. These were all these are all characters that come later, like the mayor and just random. Yeah, characters. Rosie's niece. Uh, yeah, some of these are not. Yeah, we don't even need to get into all of these. But now the Muppets. The Muppets are actually. I think the Muppets are the most interesting characters. I think they're they're pretty. I mean, they're well done. They're well crafted Muppets. And I think I'll say at least the, the main one is, yeah. is pretty interesting. So the main one is Elliot. He's the main character in the in the live action segments. Elliot Shag. He's a German Shepherd, which is the same as uh, as Ace Ace and uh, and Elliot. And you find that Elliot essentially uses inspiration from around him, like most artists do, to create the world of Ace Heart. Like his building super or his neighbor or the kids, the the, the local neighborhood kid who comes to his house all the time. Yeah, so Elliot, Elliot uh, uses Ace Heart as a stand-in for like what kind of guy he wants to be. So he's... Uh, he's performed by Kevin Clash, and I think we mentioned him in our coverage of Ninja Turtles because he's the voice of Splinter. Yeah, and he's most notable. Uh, he's been most notably the voice of Elmo, who was just recently fired for what was it, inappropriate something? Yeah, that was the one. So he's the. I think he's the fifth or the sixth uh, Elmo, and he worked for for Sesame Street from '84 to 2012, and 
those last, I think, eight or ten years he was Elmo. And he got fired because he had been having a relationship with a guy who um he wasn't he wasn't out at the time either so this was part of it so he wasn't out at the time and then this this guy came out and claimed that he was being he was he was underage and having an affair with him mm-hmm. but it turns out that the guy was like a 26 year old scam artist who had a bunch of fake paperwork and then but what it got very complicated and, yeah. and convoluted we don't need to get into all of it but i think kelvin clash is doing just fine because he's still working he's got a pretty robust careers and i actually like the voice that that he does for uh for the character it's a it's a good voice you can very slightly hear that elmo voice too a little bit a little bit oh wow elliot shag barking oh hello boss you got the new episode you hated it oh (laughs) you despised it you want another show by tomorrow (laughs) you're kidding huh you're not kidding Yes, sir. And and the character of Elliot is sort of like, a, I mean, he's your typical kind of nerdy character. Like he wants the girl, but he's afraid to talk to the girl. He's afraid to stand up to himself, stand up for himself. He befriends like people that are lo- like, like the kid is his, is really his best friend. The kid from next door. And yeah, and we can skip some of the other characters and get to him. Actually, his name's Artie. Yeah. He's a Springer Spaniel. And he's the inspiration for the uh, the character in the in the show, the Springer Spaniel in the show. Yeah, and he has a favorite squeaky toy, which is a yellow rabbit that we see as the inspiration for the first episode that we watched. Yep. And he's performed by Joey Mazzarino, who's best known as Murray Monster, Stinky the Stinkweed on Sesame Street, and is also the head writer on Sesame Street. He was... From 09 to 2015. He's actually done a bunch of stuff from Sesame Street. As you mentioned earlier, this is very much like an in-house sort of thing. Yeah, we have Colleen Barker, who is a collie, who eventually becomes Elliot's girlfriend, I guess. We didn't see episodes where that happened. But in the one episode where she's introduced, he's just sort of smitten with her. And she doesn't really either acknowledge it or if she if she knows what, what's going on, she she doesn't say anything about it. Uh, because he, I think it's, she's his neighbor. And, yeah, I think so. And she's really helpful and tries to help out everyone around the apartment. And he's just head over heels for her. So she serves as the inspiration for Rosie O'Gravy, who's also a collie. Yeah. All, all of the species of the animal or of the dogs in the animated sections correspond to their like real life. Yeah. And her character apparently was dropped by season two. So uh, she's really only in these first, you know, 10 episodes or so. And it was performed by by Fran Brill, who was Lily in the 1990s gem, What About Bob? And was a <laughs> puppeteer on Sesame Street who created and operated a bunch of puppets. And uh, we don't need to get into too much uh, about her because, again, is a lot to cover. Yeah. And, and she's now retired from acting. Uh, the last guy we could probably mention is Bruno, who is the building superintendent. Yeah, and he served as the as the inspiration for Elliot for the character of Bugsy Vile. And what's funny is he actually, in in one of the episodes that we see him, he actually asks Elliot about Bugsy Vile. Like, how did a how did a geek like you come up with a, such a great character like Bugsy? Like, he he looks at Bugsy. And he he admires the character and he thinks that it's a great, inspiring character. And the guy, the character is a crime boss and the superintendent isn't. I mean, he's not a he's not a criminal in the live action parts, but he's basically like a lazy kind of almost slumlord, it seems like. 
Yeah, he's kind of that like quintessential stereotypical 1980s New York slumlord. Yeah. And and he was done by a guy named Brian Mule who I think is probably most known for a a character that he did on Sesame Street named Barkley the dog. Uh and Barkley Oh yeah. Barkley the dog is I don't think they have Barkley the dog on much anymore at least the the little bit of newer Sesame Street I've seen with my kid but he Mule was also the second person uh that we're going to name today who worked as Elmo although I don't think it was the second person to be Elmo he might have been the first uh he was also uh, some of the characters from Dark Crystal he was one of the Skeksis and two of the Mystics from the Dark Crystal. And he was on Eureka's Castle as Bog and Mr. Knapp. And that should do it for the uh, the characters. Like, there's other characters that come in later seasons, but we won't really talk about them because we didn't, we didn't run into them in the first four episodes that we watched. Now, this show actually has a fairly good positive rating with, uh, with both viewers and critics. In, on IMDb, it's it's steady at a 7.6, which is pretty darn good for a show that only had 30-some-odd episodes. Yeah. And uh, people people really like the, the idea of a cartoon being able to talk to its creator and going back and forth. I think that's one of the really... Uh, it's one of the really unique things about this cartoon that you don't really see in... I mean, I guess you can't even really call it a cartoon. But it's one of the unique things about this show is... This show has so much fourth wall breaking. And, a lot. And the, like literally, literally Elliot will stop the, the action in the, in the cartoon. The Muppet, Elliot, will stop the action in the cartoon so that he can talk to Ace. Or Ace will, will talk to Elliot and the action will stop. And it'll be like that. It'll be like a Zach Morris freeze frame where the two of them will have a conversation while literally everyone else in the, in the shot is frozen and not doing anything. And then... Elliot will provide Ace with some kind of way to get out of the situation or he'll change the story a little bit because it's getting a little bland. Or he'll ask to have the story changed. Yeah. And right? sometimes sometimes Ace will convince Elliot to change the story instead of Elliot changing the story himself. Or sometimes Ace solves the caper early and then Elliot says, no, 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 I have, I have a plan or this is too boring. And so he'll free the villain. Yeah, he did that in one episode where he completely changed. Like the Ace solved the caper in about eight minutes. And so then they, <laughs> Elliot let the guy loose and was like, no, 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 let's go back to this point. And then he had, it took like another eight or nine minutes worth of work for him to solve the caper. I like the Zach Morris reference though, because it, that actually, time out yeah well that's you've heard that that in in all of fiction that zach morris has the most powerful superpower of all time yeah the the zach morris timeout is is its own superhero trope and 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 it's kind of cool because he really does have the zach morris timeout power yeah within his realm not you know so, with the world in general but yeah there's a there's an episode that we watched where they the ace walks in on Bugsy Vile and his guys doing pulling some caper. I can't remember what it is, but they turn and they pull out guns. They pull out Tommy guns. They start shooting at him. And then Ace, like That's the bullet the third episode. Yeah. So the bullets are all flying at Ace and he pulls the like timeout and he talks to Elliot. He's like, dude, what's with the guns? 
And he goes, oh, my boss wants, my boss says that, uh, that, that puppies want more action. They want more uh, violence and whatever. And he's like, well, that's fine. Do I get a gun? No, he said, oh, that's, that's great, but I'm a little under-equipped. You know, give me a 45. Yeah, and he, and he goes, no, uh, Ace, Ace Hart does not use any guns. He's like, yeah, don't you remember? He's like, fine. Oh, yeah, Ace Hart. Well, what, how am I going to get out of this? And then he essentially restarts time, and the bullets all bounce off of him, and he goes, with a, with a handy-dandy bulletproof vest. Which, like, one, that's not how those work. Yeah, I know. It's literally, it looks like he's wearing a sheet of armor, and the bullets are literally like just bouncing nail. off of him. Yeah, and, and he goes, oh, it's stylish and functional because it's like a vest he's wearing well and like there are there there's another point in that same episode where the the everybody has guns but ace and he wants one and elliot won't give him one Mm -hmm. and there's bullets flying everywhere in a way that is like honestly gratuitous oh yeah and i think that was the point of that scene is that literally everyone pulled out guns and they're all (laughs) shooting and somehow they all have stormtrooper aim oh yeah i mean it's bad broadside of a barn is safe with them but but like somehow like the the character meat can throw chainsaws like throwing knives it's super accurate yes like and from a distance like it, it just there's some of these things that's like well they have really good eye hand coordination here but not here it's yeah like there's no consistency so you want to talk about these episodes one by one or just kind of overall I think we can go one by one if you yeah want or... yeah if you've got if you've got the synopses then uh, then have at it because they all kind of bled through for me and I I, I don't remember where one starts and the other one stops <laughs> well you watched them in one bolt go yeah right? I did yeah so that's probably why so the first one is the big squeak. It's the one with the squeaky toy that got stolen. Mm-hmm. And and for some reason, the squeaky toy is the key to a gigantic vault. It's sound activated. Yeah. Yeah. So Bugsy wants the squeaky toy so he can get into the safe. And so he <laughs> kind of literally hides it in a tree in his house. In his house. And they don't notice. So they end up going all over town stealing squeaky toys from everybody. Because squeaky toys are apparently like the... Well, they they sort of write them into the show as like a de facto drug. They all the, the what did as they if say? It's like an addiction for these dogs. Yeah, they said that they said that uh, the the relationship between a squeaky toy or a dog and his squeaky toy is a very special relationship. It's yeah, it's almost like a drug for them. They need it, and they, and or. What it is really is like a grown-up teddy bear. Like it, it'd be like if you still had the same affection for your childhood teddy bear at thirty-five as you did at three. So that'd that, be terrifying. Yeah, that's sure. Yeah. That's essentially what that that's essentially what it's like in this in this dog city world. This is the episode also where Ace interrupts Elliot to try and get him to make the client hot, and they argue back and forth, and then they settle on it being a little kid. Just then, there was a knock at the door. It was a moment I'll never forget. The moment she walked into my life. My squeaky toy chair's been stolen! I burned my squeaky! Hold it! I won! Elliot, this is not what I had in mind. Oh, really? What did you have in mind? Well, could she be taller? Thinner? Prettier? Friendlier? My squeaky toy, she has been stolen. Now this is a client. Yeah, that that scene was so silly. I, I actually, I thought that was really funny. I, no, it was. It if was... anything, I would say that that was probably one of the most clever things in the episodes that we watched. Yeah. Because 
like he's one it's it's alluding to the fact that his character is maybe more adult than we're being led to believe Mm -hmm. and two that he has like desires that that sort of are infiltrated by that adultness well and that's what and 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 also the fact that that he he has zach morris timeout power that he can stop and say hey i want this and then the creator elliot can can make it happen that's what i meant by like that sense of humor that makes you laugh it's like it comes out of nowhere you're like what like you know essentially the the character comes into the scene and she's this big sort of fat babushka lady who's old who yeah old babushka lady and then she gradually gets like thinner and more attractive until and then what was the last ace is happy no and and the last thing that ace asks for is a little friendlier and then she grabs him and puts him in an embrace like she's about to kiss him and he's like now this is what i'm talking about and then elliot makes a makes the person a sumo at some point yeah and, and all this crazy stuff there's another funny i mean the characters have the characters have these funny one-liners although some of them are I get why you thought that this show was super funny because the show is full of dad jokes, which is like your jam to the end. Well, there, there's a scene. But the, there is a, there, I will say that they have one-liners sometimes that are pretty funny, like, <laughs> Silence! This is gonna hide me more than it does you. Thanks for the sympathy. What sympathy? I got Pistol Whipper's elbow. This is really gonna smile. Like, cause he's a, he's a, he's a criminal, you know, Bugsy's a, a, a criminal and he's complaining about how he has pistol whippers elbow. I mean, that's, that's funny. That's yeah. clever. They, there's another one in this, in this episode and I'm pretty sure it's the same episode where he gets tied up. It is the same episode where he gets tied up to the kid and to the, the owner of the safe and the safe is going to drop on him and he, he says something along the lines of Ace Hart doesn't know the meaning of the word luck. Divine intervention? S- something else along that line. But really, it's true because he has a direct line to, to his world's to god. His world's god. Yeah. So divine intervention in his case is 100% true. The next episode is The Taming of the Screw. And when we're watching this episode, even Joy, who also loves dad jokes, goes, these puns are bad. They are bad. Like, they're bad. Like... And she goes, I know Sean's going to like it, but it's too much for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't love, love dog jokes, dog jokes, dad jokes. Uh, You love, you love dog jokes. I do love all the jokes. (laughs) But yeah, some of them are a little too much for me. But (laughs) this one is essentially about a guy who's lost his damn mind because the screws uh, in every, everything in his life has been sabotaged physically by a screw coming out of a, a crib or a swing or a car or a something and ruining his life. And now he's lost his, his damn mind, but he still managed to get married and to like have a job and stuff. So it can't be all that bad. Yeah. But then it happens one too many times and then he full on goes off the deep end. Yeah. It, there's a line in the middle of the show where Ace and Rosie are up in a building and they're trying to think about what to do regarding this, this guy who's essentially going around and using a automatic screwdriver to destroy buildings and the building starts to shake, and and Rosie goes, Ace, the Earth's moving. You too, huh? I mean it, Ace. The whole place is going to fall apart. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. Well, yeah, because Ace has a Ace has a uh, as a red rocket for uh, for Rosie. <laughs> a red rocket. Yeah. 
Good show, Sean. <laughs> Red Rocket. No, one of the I think I thought one of the funniest exchanges in this episode is when is when Ace goes to the hardware store because he's trying to find out what the guy his name is Screwy Louie is what they're calling him. Oh, What's, and he destroys the building by mistake. Well, no. So he has this exchange with with uh, first with the shopkeeper and then with with Elliot. So he goes in there and he says, "Oh yeah, you know the shop." He asked the shopkeeper if he sold any screwdrivers or anything to uh, to a guy recently. He goes, "Oh yeah, I sold a, a screwdriver to uh, this guy. I was a real, real, uh, real odd fella." He's like, "Well, which one did you sell him?" And he literally just pulls out a normal flathead screwdriver and puts it on the table. And then he does the Zach Morris time stop and he goes, "Elliot, what the hell?" He's like, what do, you, what do you mean? He's like, this is stupid. He's taking apart the city with like a literal screwdriver. But I, then he he makes it a giant screwdriver, yeah, which is says, also ridiculous. Yeah, he says, well, we need, like, uh, this needs to be bigger. And he goes, okay. And he, yeah, he literally draws a giant screwdriver that's as big as the table. And then he, he does like a look at him like, are you fucking serious with this? Hey, Jagoff, let's do, let's, let's, let's <laughs> so quit then they screwing give him a, around. So then they give him a real one. But like, there's... There's like a lot of these things where the Elliot and and Ace have like a quick back and forth, almost like within a moment of time. And then obviously none of the rest of the characters know what's going on, but we do. And they're funny. Yeah. They're genuinely funny. And there is also, I don't know if you noticed, but when it's in the middle, the screwy Louie is going to destroy an orphanage. Yeah, this was actually this is a point brought up by Joy actually that I didn't even pick up on. So they end up going to an orphanage for Saint Bernards. Uh huh. And she goes, and and I didn't pick up on it like when she said it. She goes, "Isn't that racist?" I was like, "What?" She goes, "You know, it's it's breedist. It's breedist." Well, no, no. Well, it's like what she's saying is is in the world of Dog City, if you look at all these different breeds as like different dog races. And then you have an orphanage for just one particular breed or race that would be like having an orphanage just for like whatever. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. But see, the way that my brain was thinking of it was St. Bernard's is in, it's like some sort of like Catholic organization. And yeah. I thought that was like the... St. Bernard's home for wayward puppies. Yeah. So I thought it was like a, like a trope. Uh, I think it's more... I thought it was a, pl- excuse me, not a trope. I thought it was a play on 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 the whole orphanage being a catholic organization that's i think what i thought it was i think it's more what you're thinking and less what joy's thinking but but when uh, she brought it up i was like "Ooh, that's a good point i didn't even think of that well they do have breed specific rescues so if you think of an orphanage like a rescue then if you were a saint bernard and you wanted saint bernard puppies and you couldn't saint bernard procreate then you would want to go to a saint bernard rescue slash orphanage because you don't want to be, you want to keep it, want to keep the race pure. Oh God! Purebreds, purebreds, not mongrels. Oh Jesus! <laughs> took a dark path. Yeah, took a dark path. There, and what's funny is the orphans pop up in different episodes. And at one point, I want to say it's like the third episode or something. I want to say it's the one with Meet the Butcher that Ace runs into the runs into the uh, the orphans at some point. And he says something along the lines of like, like, man, aren't, are you orphans ever not in danger? Because the first episode, he like saves orphans from something. And then he saves orphan or the orphanage is is clear. So he doesn't have to save any orphans in that episode. But like, he's constantly saving these same three orphans. Like in every episode. Yeah. Yeah. And just that line where he's like, God, are you orphans ever not in danger? 
Like, who keeps wanting to kill orphans? Apparently Bugsy. Well, in the third episode, Meet the Butcher, which we've mentioned a few times, is the, is the character who was pushed by his boss. And uh, I actually, you know, the, the that whole episode for me was kind of like blah. But I will say the ending is funny. Yeah. I actually, the ending I actually really liked. The, the part that I really liked in the middle of it was when Ace, Ace gets blasted out of the animation cell. Onto like he can get blasted out of the the animation desk and onto different pieces of paper that are around the desk, so he can actually like exist outside of the animation. Which part. means he can he can dimensionally travel. Yeah, so he gets blasted. He gets blasted out of out of the uh, the animation cell into what is essentially a perspective diagram for Ace Heart, where you know it shows like him looking in one direction, and it also has examples of different facial features. So at one point in the conversation between Ace and Elliot, it goes through the different emotional facial expressions. Yeah. And, and one of each, them is pensive. Yeah. They each say a different thing based on what emotion they are. And it's, it's Ace talking to Elliot, but it's like happy, angry, pensive, scared, surprise, surprise. Yeah. And, and he, he changes the way he talks. I thought that was kind of clever. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I I thought it was cool, and then and then at some point they all kind of get in sync, and they're like, "Are you crazy?" And then they give some answer that's together. No, the the part at the ending I'm talking about is so meat is is essentially out of his mind, and oh yeah, he's a psychopath. Yeah, and Bugsy is. Uh, Bugsy is very proud that he is senseless. Yeah, he's the but, master of senseless violence or senseless crime, but or just something. senselessness in general. Mm-hmm. And they have a senseless competition that, when at first they said they were doing it, I just kind of groaned. I thought this is stupid. But then, as it went on, I thought, man, this is really smart because they have these two characters who then do things senselessly to compete with each other to see who is more senseless. This is all a big kind of ruse for Bugsy to take control of the situation and beat meat. Wants to beat his meat. I knew you were going to go there. I, I gave it to <laughs> you on a silver platter, Sean. Yeah. Silver so, doggy dish. Mm, so Bugsy, he starts by like lighting a match and then not closing the matchbook. It's like, this was like, what? What was sense? It's like, I didn't close the matchbook. And it's like silly stuff. But at one point... Meat takes cough syrup and tries to then operate heavy equipment. And that, that, that was really funny. Yeah. And then Bugsy says he's going to do the most senseless thing ever by jumping into a meat grinder, even though he's the biggest bad guy. And he says and nothing is more senseless. And he, he's created like a one-upmanship. And then Meat says that he's going to do it, thereby essentially committing suicide. Although it does turn out at the very end he did not kill himself. But... At first, it, it does. It's like, okay, a dog went into a meat grinder. Well, this when you is... see him come out of it, too, it's like, it's one of those things where they've done it in other cartoons where they go into, like, a canner, and then the, the cans are all coming out in an assembly line, and then the one the can, can has that, their face yeah, on the it. Yeah, one, the one can that, like, Tom from Tom and Jerry goes in, it, like, bounces around, and then Tom's head pops out of the can, and he, you can see that he's all right. That's essentially what happens here, is that meat is on, on the can, and he's like, rah, 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 rah. And then you get... Baron uh, Rottweiler, who's in jail from the earlier part of the episode. And And they open up a can of dog food, and there he is. Yeah. So the last one is Disobedience School, which opens up with the city in shambles, and then cut to Elliot and Artie with Artie wanting to stay home instead of going to school. And 
So Ellie convinces Artie to go to class. And when he does, he he has this line where he goes, Now, Artie, you know what Ace Hart says? There's nothing to fear but fear itself. And the dog catcher. But that's another story. Okay, Mr. Shag. Thanks. <sighs> Mr. Shag. Yes, Artie? Did Ace Hart really say that? He will. Oh. I thought, did did he just rip off FDR? Was there an FDR in this dog universe? Maybe he's FDR. Hmm, maybe. Yeah. Well, but he, he walks, so it could have been. I mean, oh. dogs can get polio, can't they? I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. That, I, that I'm not sure about. I'm not sure either. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't necessarily ready to talk about dogs contracting polio today. Dog polio. Didn't make it into my notes today, Sean. Oh. So I got no answer for you. Yeah. But But there are some... Oh, did this is the episode that had it. There was, some, there was a, a section of really weird audio. Did you notice that watching? Mm-mm. Okay. So it seems in every episode that, you know, how the Rottweilers get chased and whatever. And they get captured by Ace mm-hmm. afterwards. And in the beginning, uh, there's ex- exchange between Ace and Rosie. And after they sort of finish up their dialogue, we have this moment where where one of them starts talking and then the other one uh, starts talking. And it's, I think, I don't know if it was a mistake where they're supposed to say things differently or whether they're supposed to talk over each other. At first, I thought it was the website. And then I tried other places that stream this show and it's i got the same thing huh. and you can hear it here like to stick around to the biscuit i thought that was it was just very very bizarre because you hear it's at a certain point they're just both talking literally over each other Weird. and then they both go okay goodbye see you later at the same time and then they walk away and then it moves on to the next scene like nothing happened and i thought the fuck just happened yeah that's kind of weird it was very weird i I don't because the animation didn't skip so it leads me to believe that it was actually like a production mistake and that's how it ended up weird but but you would think that that's something that they would have fixed right yeah you would think i I don't know but but this one is essentially the 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 kid the animated kid ends up going to school and bugsy has decided to turn the school into a into a school for for gang for kids criminals. for criminals and and you never find out what he ended up doing with all the teachers. No, yeah, you never find out because essentially Bugsy and his gang replace all the teachers at the school and turn it into like like we said a, a school for a school for gang a school for larceny a school to teach kids how to be bad. He changes the name to a disobedience school, and his whole master plan is to teach these kids how to steal and be criminals, and then take them to the Dog City equivalent of Fort Knox on a quote-unquote field trip and then use them to steal all the gold and and coins and dollars and whatever from from the Dog City Fort Knox under the guise of they're on a field trip. But what field trip gets led into... Fort Knox. Fort Knox. Well, I could see them maybe doing a tour of Fort Knox. What, what field trip gets into, like, the vault of Fort Knox? Like, this is where we keep all the gold, kids. Oh, don't worry. No security necessary. It's mm-hmm. fine. And eventually... So- and Ace goes undercover. And there's actually a pretty funny exchange where where Ace tells uh, Ace is in the school and he says, It's time for costume 321. And it's he hops 213. 213. And he hops into a, into and a locker. And then 231. And then 312. And then 123. And he keeps changing. Uh, Elliot 
keeps painting new costumes onto him until they finally get the right costume. And he's looking for like the schoolboy costume. I like that he went, one of them was a tutu, like full on, like in drag. Mm-hmm. And then another one was another drag costume where he's a Viking shield maiden. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. He was, he was like a Valkyrie. And then this was the episode where, where Ace actually defeated the bad guys super early. Like he falls out of a window and, and smashes them. And that's when Elliot goes, wait, wait, wait. I had a better idea for the way that this episode ends. Because he wants the kids in the school to learn a lesson. Yeah. And so, so he retcons the capture of the bad guys. But what's silly is, <laughs> what's silly is, I mean, whatever, we're, we're critiquing this show. What's we're si- critiquing a show that was <laughs> yeah. about 25 years ago. What's, what's silly is, Elliot says that he wants the kids to learn a lesson. But turns out there's only one kid in the entire school who's actually a kid. Because all the other kids are undercover police officers who are trying to capture Bugsy and his gang. And it's from... So the whole thing was pointless. Yeah, and it's from it's from uh, all different all different uh, branches of canine police work. Chief Inspector Rosie O'Gravy, Dog City Police, on top secret undercover assignment. You're under arrest. It's the FBI, the CIA, RCMP, Scotland Yard, in the boodle. Bingo. And honestly, the last one made me laugh because it's Interpoodle. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, it was uh, RCMP, uh, Scotland, and there's it, it like dog puns for everyone. It's like Scotland Bark, RCM something, whatever. It's like the Mounties. and But yeah, the Interpoodle was the best one because it was a poodle. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So with what we watched, what did you think of it? I actually liked it. I really did. Yeah. I, I actually thought that it was a, a fun show. I loved the concept of a cartoon it's a show within a show. So I love the, the concept of the cartoon in the show, in the show, talking to its creator and being able to have like a creative control over what's going on. And it's yeah. only one character. As far as in episodes we saw, and I don't think it, I, I feel safe to say that it doesn't happen with other characters. Elliot only talks to Ace. He doesn't stop and, and talk to, uh, Rosie, he doesn't stop, talk to the boy, he doesn't talk to Bugsy, he only talks to Ace. So it's like this relationship between him and Ace, and Ace is his Ace is his uh, wish fulfillment, it's who he wants to be, and and uh, the 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 jokes are pretty clever, I thought. I mean, they're they're for a kid's show, they're clever. They made me laugh, and it's not like I laugh at everything. I laugh at a lot of stuff, but I don't laugh at everything. But I thought it was I thought it was a good concept, and I wouldn't mind seeing the Jim Henson productions, like putting out a new version of this. It doesn't have to be dog city, but I like the idea of uh, a Muppet overworld and then an animated like sub world. Yeah. I thought that part was the smartest part of this whole show. Mm -hmm. I easily, uh, the concept as, I mean, it is sort of high concept, but, but I think overall it's executed pretty well. I, I mean, there are complaints on my end, but it's mostly just nitpicking. I think, I think of shows to be brought back. This is definitely on a list of shows. I mean, it was 25 years ago. It's a little known show that only got 31 episodes. It'd be a very easy thing to just bring it back, Mm -hmm. you know, or redo it. Or like you said, make it something else. Don't make it about dogs. Make it about, I don't know, fucking dolphins. I don't care. But, but I mean, the idea that there's a, a Muppet overworld and then an animated world, and then they communicate through a fourth wall break is genius. It's absolutely genius. I, 
Some of the jokes are flat for me. I, I found some of the story to just be okay. Well, I mean, it's generic. It's generic, like, private eye stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, just in general, it was sort of generic. But, yeah, I, I, I would say that if... If you want to go back and watch it, it's totally fine to watch. I, I had Eleanor watch all of these, and so I, my three-and-a-half-year-old, I had her watch these, and she wasn't that interested in them. She watched them. We watched, uh, after watching the first one, she wanted to watch the second one, and then I think she sort of lost interest. Mm-hmm. So so it wasn't really, you know, for her. We did watch them, but but not because she really wanted to. It was more so because like I had to watch him for the show and it was the only time available. So maybe the, maybe the show would do better for with a, with a slight, well, well also with like maybe a slightly older target audience. I mean, you think about Muppets and you, you, when you think about Muppets, I think most people probably tend to think of like Sesame street. So maybe they assume that the age yeah. range is like your two to seven year olds, maybe two, yeah. to, two to five. But this show, and really, if you if you go back and watch some of the older like Muppet movies, Muppets Take Manhattan, Muppets Big Caper, and Muppet Treasure Island, all that, there are adult jokes in there. Yeah, there, there are definitely adult jokes that aren't meant for the kids. Like those movies, I think, are meant to attract kids, but they know that there's going to be probably adults watching it with them, so they throw stuff in there for the adults. And I feel like if that show, if the if they revamped the show and did the same thing, and maybe. Maybe change it to appeal to slight. I don't know what you could do to make it to make it appeal well, to slightly younger kids. I think part of it would be actually just changing the writing style because some of the writing, the Jim Henson projects in general, the Jim Henson production projects, the writing is a very distinct writing style, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're talking Fraggle Rock and Muppets and and a lot of these things, it, the they are written. In a certain way. Yeah. And this... And you can recognize it. And you can recognize it. And you do here. And and I think in... I feel like you either got to go big or go home. Mm-hmm. And so I think they sort of like tipped the toe in the water on it. But they didn't go all in. That's the problem for me. Mm-hmm. Is had they gone all in on that writing style and gone just full Muppets? Or... Uh, or maybe dressed it back and maybe gone more Fraggle Rockish. One of the two... Uh, but most likely more Muppet than Fraggle Rock, mm-hmm. then then it maybe would have been more successful. I, and I'm not saying... It, so in maybe an ideal world, if they could actually maybe drop that writing style or at least be willing to work outside of it, there maybe are more options. I'm thinking more along, along the lines of if you had something like Freakazoid. Yeah, that's very similar. So... Well, you know, Freakazoid breaks the fourth wall all the time, uh, and he makes reference to his own animators and so on, and mm-hmm. the Screen Actors Guild and all this stuff and uh, commercials. And it, I think if they had done a puppet human world mm-hmm. and then a animated human world, or well, it could be, like I said, it could be fucking dolphins. I don't care. Yeah. But but if you had a puppet and then an animated world and maybe make the animated world far more zany mm-hmm. make it crazier almost more like animaniacs or like the the mid 90s warner brothers stuff of pinky the brain or whatever make it more like that but then make them self-aware and then have the quote real world the 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 puppet world be aware that they are the creators of this like other world and maybe even have them fourth wall break to the audience. That would also be interesting. Or have the animated characters fourth wall break to us about their animator 
Like, there's a lot of yeah. options. There's a lot of things that they could do in, in like a revamp. I, I feel like this concept is just really smart. Yeah, and and the fact that it, I feel like it's it's something that I haven't really seen since. No, not really. Feels underutilized. And they, yeah, so we definitely can can see this happening again, and it probably should. So I would recommend it. You would recommend it. Yeah, and uh, I think that's probably where we should leave it for this week. Yeah. So. If you want to find us and talk to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at RemasteredCast. That is at RemasteredCast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Please rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. The rating really helps us out. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howard for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, ChildhoodRemastered.com. And until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. A-C-E-N.